Let us pray. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I have to confess to you that I made a mistake last week. Shocking, I know, but I made a mistake last week. I was on my way home from church last Sunday, listening to a podcast, as I often do. My wife and I are kind of obsessed, addicted to podcasts. And the show I was listening to is called uh, Radiolab. This particular episode was entitled The Queen of Death. What a catchy title. Uh, it was about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the Swiss-American psychiatrist who famously formulated the five stages of grief. You ever heard of those, the five stages of grief? Kubler-Ross uh, got started with her work in the 1960s in Chicago when a group of seminary students approached her with a project they were doing for school uh, on how to care for and pastor people who were nearing the end of their lives. And Kubler-Ross agreed to help them and started visiting hospitals and asking if there were any dying patients that she could speak with, to hear from them, to hear about their experience. And to her great surprise, again, the 1960s, all of the hospitals said essentially the same thing. Sorry, there's no dying people here, which was, of course, absurd. Kubler-Ross didn't give up. She walked the halls of dozens of hospitals for months and months, and what she discovered is that dying people were being hidden away, that no one wanted to talk to them, no one wanted to talk about them, no one acknowledged what they were going through, what they were feeling. Oftentimes, no one would even discuss their diagnosis or prognosis with them or their families. What Kubler-Ross discovered was that at a time when humanity was making great strides in treating infectious diseases and curing illnesses and prolonging life, no one wanted to talk about death or to even acknowledge its reality. And so people who were dying did so often alone, often confused and distressed and forgotten. What Kubler-Ross also discovered is that dying people, when she finally found them, they really wanted to talk. They wanted companionship and understanding. They wanted to know and understand what was going on in their lives and their bodies. They wanted someone to be with them and hold their hand through the process of passing from this life into the next. Well, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross ended up interviewing hundreds of dying people. She made a lot of people angry, actually. She made a lot of doctors mad, like, what are you doing? Stop doing this. And in 1969, she published a book with her findings called On Death and Dying, which rather surprisingly became an almost instant international bestseller. She then went on a worldwide speaking tour where she would present her findings and observations to sold out auditoriums of doctors and nurses and pastors and also just regular people. It would seem that in the wake of World War II and Korea and Vietnam, and not to mention just life in general, thousands and thousands of people wanted to talk about dying. 
They were ready to stop denying death and to face it head on, to talk about the difficult and complicated realities of human existence. And through her work, uh, Kubler-Ross pioneered hospice care, palliative care. She was really the first person to bring terminally ill people into the public view. She was the driving force behind the movement for doctors and nurses to treat the dying with dignity, to not just forget them, but to, to treat them like human beings. So when I heard this podcast, um, I got kind of excited, which sounds strange because it's not a terribly exciting thing, but I have to say I get excited whenever anyone is talking about reality, when they're talking about the deeper truths of life. And so in my excitement, I sent this episode to a couple of wonderful volunteers in our church, people who help us with pastoral care, with caring for people who are sick or dying, because I thought it might be interesting and even helpful to them. The problem was I'd only listened to the first half of the episode. <laughs> So after Kubler-Ross published her book, after she'd become world famous and quite wealthy, she became interested in the occult, in spirit guides and mediums and out-of-body experiences. She bought a retreat center in California where she held sessions for communing with the dead. So without going into too much detail, uh, things got weird in her life. And there was, I mean, there was bad stuff that happened too. There was, there was scandal, there was abuse, there was exploitation. And I had to call those two volunteers that I'd sent the episode to and beg their forgiveness. And luckily they were forgiving. At first, I'd seen Kubler-Ross as kind of a hero. There were some things that were heroic about her, right? That her willingness to fight the establishment for the sake of the forgotten. She was willing to swim against the current of culture for the sake of truth and love and care. But then she became an embarrassment, kind of another cautionary tale against placing too much faith in any one human being. So today I want to talk a little bit about heroes, about heroes. We all have them, don't we? We all certainly want them. We want heroes, people we can look up to, people we can trust, people to whom we can look for advice and wisdom, people through whom we can live vicariously, who ascend to heights we could never climb ourselves, who gain insight we could never achieve on our own. Uh, the Olympics is happening right now, in case you didn't notice. And if the Olympics are about anything, they're about heroes, about men and women on whom entire nations place their hopes and dreams. But this particular Olympics has also demonstrated the inability of people to carry all that weight. You know, whether it's been swimmers winning silver, God forbid, instead of gold, or the USA men's basketball team just full of NBA talent who's lost to Nigeria and Australia and France, you know, it's been kind of an embarrassment. Or most famously, of course, uh, Simone Biles, the greatest gymnast of all time, 
pulling out of the competition. And I think she, you know, she did the right thing, but it certainly wasn't what anyone was expecting. Certainly wasn't what she was expecting herself. What we've seen in these Olympics are men and women unable to shoulder the expectations that have been placed upon them, unable to be the heroes we want them to be, that we expect them to be. Of course, we don't just seek athletic heroes, we also crave political and religious and historical heroes. One of the big conversations we've been having in our culture recently is how to weigh the accomplishments of historical figures against their failures, against their shortcomings. How are we supposed to think about men like Thomas Jefferson, for example, who wrote the Declaration of Independence, who built Monticello, who founded the University of Virginia, all amazing accomplishments, but also owned slaves and fathered children with them. Over the past couple weeks, we've been reading in the Bible about King David's greatest personal failure. How this king, this one chosen by God, this man after God's own heart, as the scripture calls him, the same man who when he was a boy had the faith and courage to slay the giant Goliath, how he commits adultery with another man's wife and then has that man killed to cover up his sin. I got an email last week from a parishioner who shared that he was deeply troubled by David's actions. How could this man be a biblical hero? Of course, David is not the only person in the Bible, only biblical hero who commits grave sins. Abraham used his wife to gain the favor of a king. Moses kills a man and buries his body to keep it secret. The apostle Paul, before his conversion, executed Christians, and the apostle Peter denies Jesus three times on that night when he was arrested. In our own time, religious leaders have been exposed for exploiting and abusing people who were entrusted to their care. You may remember I talked about my seminary where on the wall outside the library, there were all these um, men and women throughout Christian history, heroes of the faith. Most of them were dead, but some of them were still alive. And my seminary dean always said, don't ever put anyone up while they're still alive. There's still time to blow it. <laughs> you know, wait till they're dead. Wait a few years after they're dead. Our heroes so often disappoint us. They can't handle the weight of our expectations. Their humanity fails them and fails us. Do you remember the second commandment that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai? It reads as follows. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. I've often thought that God gave us this commandment because he knew our hunger for earthly heroes, our propensity to worship earthly things, and the reality that those heroes would almost always disappoint us, 
always let us down or use us for their own purposes. I think that in that commandment, God was trying to save us from worshiping things that ought not be worshiped or from putting people on a pedestal that shouldn't be. It seems that there's no one, no athlete or politician or priest or Swiss psychiatrist who can bear the weight of our expectations, of our need. No one who can be who we need them to be. Except for one. Except for one. There was once a person who never used anyone else for his own gain. Who never exploited anyone, never hurt anyone, who always told the truth, no matter how difficult or uncomfortable it may have been, who didn't play favorites, who always placed the good of others above his own good, who always served rather than seeking to be served, who literally laid down his life, whose words and actions need no justification even 2,000 years later. This person made some big claims about himself, but he backed them up with his actions. C.S. Lewis once said that perfect humility dispenses with modesty. And those words capture this man. He was humble, but he was not modest. He knew who he was. Of course, I'm talking about Jesus of Nazareth, the most remarkable person who has ever lived. Listen to what he says in today's gospel reading from John to people desperate for a hero, desperate for hope. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Son of man was a title that Jesus used for himself. Apparently, he had no problem speaking about himself in the third person. (laughs) For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to Jesus, what must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down to heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus knows how hungry we are, hungry for hope, for life, for deliverance, for healing, hungry for a hero, for someone to come and save us. And Jesus says that he is that hero, that God has set his seal on him and on him alone. Only Jesus can give us the food that we need, the bread of heaven, the bread of life and hope 
and peace. And what does it mean to eat this bread that Jesus offers? What do we need to do? Well, listen to what he says. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The only thing we have to do is believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus. Many people have said they can save us, but only Jesus can deliver. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross may have sat with dying people. She may have listened to them and comforted them, but only Jesus can promise us life on the other side of death because only Jesus has come back from the dead. We're all desperate for heroes, someone to believe in, someone who can help us transcend our humanity, our, our brokenness, someone who can give us hope, someone who, who can deliver us from pain and death. But there's only one person who can bear that weight, who can bear our need, bear our hopes, bear our sins. So let us turn away from earthly idols. Let's give up on hero worship. Let's allow people to be the mixed bags that they are. And let's place our trust and faith in the one who loved us enough to die for us and to come back again, the only one who will never disappoint us. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Amen.